Join us, friends. Great Scott Spockeye. Do they know what we have in store for them? They will if they tighten up. And don't double dribble. To the Grey Ghost, Spockeye? Exactly, old chum. No time to waste. To the Grey Ghost. We have not a minute to spare. It's showtime, friends. Right, all right, all right. It is the Spockeye, and it is... Globe Striding with Shrey. And we are not wishing Cotton was a monkey, but we know that there are a lot of people that are. And great Scott Spa guy. There's a lot of them watching. <laughs> so don't <laughs> wish Cotton was a monkey. You should want the truth in all things. It's important. So we had last week, we had uh, Marshall Terrell on. And we're going to bring him in again. And we're going to talk about some other books and some other subjects. So let's go ahead and get Marshall in here. Hey, Marshall. Hey, guys. <laughs> So fancy seeing you here. Yeah, and the same clothes too. <laughs> exactly. What's going on, Marshall? Um, so what I wanted to start this off with is the way the first time I heard your name was from Rex and Elizabeth, right? Uh, which I became friends with. I went to Germany and filmed all the stuff in Germany and learned stories about Rex and Elizabeth in Germany and that kind of stuff. Came back to the United States and started going, well, where is Rex and Elizabeth? Turns out they lived in Tennessee, very close to me. So I reached out to Rex and he was very, very nice. And Elizabeth as well. They invited me in. We became friends. Uh, sadly, Rex passed away. Yeah. Uh, you got to know Rex for a long, long time, but they were just, they're genuinely good people. Elizabeth is still uh, with us yep. and uh, is a great lady. And that is Elizabeth Wright there with Elvis. Right. And she's also right here, which that's not her sisters. Those are neighbors. She told me, right. but that's Elvis, uh, at her house. And then that's Rex with Elvis helping him. So is Sergeant stripes on, which, you know, Rex talks about Elvis being jealous of him, which is pretty crazy. Um, and it, it blows my mind. And I, I know you've done a lot of, uh, a lot of books on a lot of different famous people, which most people that are famous probably have some, some tinge of, of superiority. I'll, yeah. I'll use that word if you will yes. for themselves, they feel superior to other people in, in some, in some uh, capacity. So it, one of the things that I remember very sp specifically that Rex told me that really stood out to me was how Elvis was jealous of him getting his sergeant stripes first. Yes. Which really blew my mind. I'm like, how is Elvis Presley jealous of anybody? That just doesn't make sense. But I guess that's what, you know, you mentioned in our uh, last episode that people are very, very complex. Yeah. And you can have a hang up on one thing, but not have a hang up on something else. Or it's just Elvis was a complex person. Absolutely. And, and fame, I think, uh, magnifies those complexities or they they create them. Um, and in that case, yeah, I was I was blown away by you mentioned superiority, but there's another word I want to use, and that's territorial. OK, uh, yeah. uh, they're very anything that they touch is theirs. So in the, in the case of Rex and Elizabeth, <clears throat> you know, for all intents and purposes, Elizabeth was Elvis's. Even though he was seeing other people, none of his guys could ever uh, uh, 
go out with her. So yeah, he told him that. Yeah, he, he was very upfront with that. And you know, it's funny, you know, when I did my my book on Steve McQueen, um, I you know, when he was married to Allie McGraw, he would tell a guy that he worked with, a guy, a guy that was a mechanic, you know, hands off on Allie, you know. Um, and he'd do that with all of his friends. And so there was there was jealousy and insecurity there. So I think, you know, um, we tend to forget that these icons have these human emotions. And um and yeah, we were we're kind of shocked that Elvis could have anybody he wanted, but he was still jealous. So uh, it's kind of like that's mine; you can't touch. Go off on your own and go get your own woman. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? And it's and it's like when I see Elvis, for instance, I see the big picture. What Elvis saw was the little picture. What was in front of him at that moment? Right. And, uh, and I remember Rex telling me, and Elizabeth told me that um, one of the things that he called all the guys aside and said, hey, just so all y'all know, Elizabeth is off limits. And he did tell them that. So, uh, and the reason that, that this is all important is when grandma, Elvis's grandma, Dodger, helped to put Rex and Elizabeth together, which was, uh, she was matchmaking behind the scenes. Right. What does that sound? I don't know. What was that? Yeah. I don't know where it came from. Water somewhere. Yeah. But they were putting Rex and Elizabeth together behind the scenes. Grandma was. If Elvis ever found out, Rex and Elizabeth would have both been kicked out of the group, or at least Rex would have. Right. And, uh, And she told me a story about that. They were going to, um, there was some guys going to Beck's bar. She would always talk about Beck's bar where Red would go and fight people. And um, that they were going to Beck's bar. And one of the guys that happened to be there, there would be people like, we we uh, interviewed Johnny Lang up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Johnny was there. And there was guys like Johnny that would just be invited on the weekend to play football or to hang out. And one of the guys heard that, um, uh, that Rex, I think he, Rex, I think I'm, I keep saying Rex, but I'm meaning red. Red was saying, I'm going to go down to Beck's bar. And the guy said, well, red, I'll go with you. And he turned around and said to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, would you like to go? That's all he said. When he left, Elvis said, that guy right there doesn't come back again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just that quick. And see that guy was, it was harmless to him. He didn't know that that had happened. He wasn't insider. He hadn't been told, right. he literally was not allowed back just simply by asking Elizabeth to come to Beck's bar. He talked yeah. to his girl that, yeah. Well, and we should probably put this in context. When you're in your early twenties, you're macho um, and you're passionate about everything and everyone. And so, you know, so as we're here talking about Elvis being territorial, I mean, I think all of us probably, have that in us in, in our early twenties. I know, I know that I'm a much different person than I was in my twenties. So I am. Know, a- I, I think that context is probably important to, to put out there that. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is a good point. You're very, in your twenties, you're very jealous. Even if you're successful, you're jealous. Yeah. And the other thing was Elvis had just lost his mother at this point too. So yeah. I'm sure he had some inner, some things going on where he felt like he needed someone there almost to fill in as a mother figure. And I think Elizabeth fit that bill at that, at that. Yeah. Time. And we, we see that all throughout Elvis's life, you yeah. know, 
that that mother that and, and it's interesting steve mcqueen was the same way in that he was constantly looking for a father figure and his mother was not maternal and he would be uh look you know in his wives he was looking for someone who would be maternal and take care of him so it's all very interesting psychology it is very interesting and um the uh the Rex and Elizabeth story is a fascinating story. You know, it really is. And uh, man, I thank you so much for writing, writing that book. This is, this is the book friends. You can still get this, right? Yes. You can still get it. You can find used copies on, on the internet. It's, it's still around. Um, But it's not in print now. No, it's not in print. You know, books for the most part, uh, the hard copies, they go out of print after a year. Yeah. They they stay on the bookshelves uh, for a year. And then, and whatever is remain remaining, they call them a remainder. Oh, look at that! Well, Let's see. I it. got them to sign it for me, even though it was already pre-signed. They added, they did it again for me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this this was in an era before Kindle came out. So uh, the only way I think you can get it is is just buy a used copy off of Amazon. Yeah. I, I wish it would be, um, it, it would be on Kindle, and I, that's what I love about Kindle is that it now remains in print forever. But you know, when I first started in the early 90s, you know, a lot of the books, even the the Maravich book is is not Kindle. And I want to I want to see that go to Kindle because I want to see future generations pick up that book and fall in love with Pete, mm-hmm. just as I do want Pete, future generations to fall in love with Elvis like they're doing right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, take me back, Marshall, to how did you uh, uh, get with uh, the Rex and Elizabeth? And I also uh, tell me about the process of of talking with them and and doing this story? Well, it's interesting. Um, I live here in Phoenix, Arizona. And at the time I was living in Mesa and my wife watched me write books and said, you know, I'd love to do something artistic with you. I said, well, let me find a project that uh, where we both could be of use. So I go to the library in Mesa and there's this uh, book. It doesn't even have a cover. And, um, it's uh, it's Rex and Elizabeth's book. They they actually um, uh, did their book on their own. They did they they did it privately, um, and I I'm not sure if if was it this? They, uh, well, it wasn't even that book. It, wow. it was it, it was that book. It was Elvis the Soldier, but it was yes, it was it was that one. But it was not that book. It was it didn't have a cover. It was one of those old library bindings. Mm-hmm. It just has the name of the title. Just on the front, yeah. So yeah. it was even an earlier version than this. Yes. So it was an earlier version of that. And so I just picked it up. And again, not being an Elvis fan, but I'm I'm intrigued. Like, hmm, I want to read an Elvis book. So I, I read this book, and it wasn't very well done, but I recognized the story in it. Like, wow, two guys, Elvis Presley's competing with another for another woman and this regular soldier you know, when gets Elizabeth? I said, that's a fascinating story. I wonder if he's still alive. So, uh, yeah, I called Tennessee and I told uh, Rex what I was planning. And his words were, I've been waiting for this phone call for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and as we just, you know, we, we hit it off big time. I mean, he is such a nice gentleman. And Bill, Billy, you know, you got to know him well. Yes. So, um, uh, I wrote the Rex part and my wife wrote the Elizabeth part. And so we flew up to uh, Sevierville where they were living and uh, 
we, we just hit it off. And then they flew out to, to Arizona the following year. And uh, Rex even came to my 40th birthday party uh, uh, as a surprise. So we just, we were just in touch with them all the time because we, some friendships evolve out of these books. Sometimes they don't, but um, you know, a lot of the times you, you, you still stay in touch because, you know, these people are telling you the most intimate details of their life. And there's a connection there when you do that. So um, uh, we, we just, we remained in touch and we went to actually, when, when the book came out, we all went to Graceland together to sell the book. And we had that experience. It was the greatest experience of Rex life because I think NBC had him on and um, he was just showered with all this love and attention. And they, they asked him, they, they put a microphone in his face. They said, what do you think Elvis would think of all this? And he said, I don't think he'd like it very much. <laughs> and everybody just laughed and we came unglued and they were just like, yeah. So, but it's funny that I mean, you, you heard it from the horse's mouth, somebody who's a real friend, you know, what he would have thought of all that hubbub. And that was, let's see, that was 2002. So that, that would have been what the 25th anniversary of his passing 25th. I believe that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and uh, gosh, Graceland, and, and Elvis Presley Enterprises has grown so much even from now. I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know it was that long ago. I didn't know it was all, that that book was 2002. Yes. Yes. Wow. Very yeah. long ago. And the way I, that I, the, I've told the story of this book uh, or their story before, and the way that I kind of uh, summed it all up was everybody ran to Elvis for money and fame. Rex and Elizabeth ran from Elvis for love. Yeah. And I think that's an accurate portrayal of that story right there. So if you haven't read it, friends, you need to read it. It is incredible. And, and there's a great Colonel Parker anecdote in there because um, Rex was really torn. Um, what she, Because he was offered essentially what Joe Esposito's job would have been. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth was offered a job as a secretary. And so uh, Rex just went to Colonel Parker and he said, Colonel Parker, because uh, because he, he knew him from from uh, they 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 did the, the 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 tour the tour thing in Germany together so he got to know Colonel Parker a little bit so when he came back to the states he said I'm at a loss I love Elizabeth um, but Elvis has offered me this incredible job and it's going to be an exciting life and uh, Colonel Parker just said well son my advice is free so it may not mean anything. But he said, you seem to have a little bit more on the ball than the rest of these other guys. And if you uh, if you're truly in love with Elizabeth, you're going to be you're, you're going to be in Elvis's shadow the whole time. And, and that's not going to work for you guys as a couple. So mm -hmm. Rex took that advice from the colonel and uh, they, they ran off together. And, you know, they were married for, I think, 47 years before Rex's passing. Mm -hmm. They were truly, uh, truly a great couple. And they were, and she told me that she was still in love with Elvis for the next five years. Yeah. That it was really a, an issue in their relationship, but they were able to work through it. Yeah. And, and Rex even admitted to me that um, he wanted to give her the grandest life that he possibly could. And wow. he worked really hard. Rex uh, was in charge of like 200 people in a corporation. Mm -hmm. He did very well financially. Yeah, they did very well. And he, but he spent the rest of his life not only courting her, but showing, showing her essentially, I can give you just as good as a life as, as Elvis and Rex admitted to that. And it really turned out to be a better life mm -hmm. because 
Elvis would have never been true to her. He would have never done any of the things that make a great husband a great husband. Well, he wasn't true yeah. to her in Germany. So yeah. um, it started like, you know, they 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 had their time together. Uh, but almost immediately, you know, he was he was going out with other women. And, uh, you know, that really hurt her. And uh, Rex could see. But Rex then fell in love with her. And then they were having this um, relationship behind Elvis's back. And they they knew that they could be tossed out of the inner circle at any time. So that's what made it such a great story. Mm -hmm. And, and grandma best. was involved. And, yeah, grandma was involved and, and mm -hmm. she turned her back on Rex because mm -hmm. she had to make it seem like she had nothing to do with it because then she would have been busted. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Dodger would have been dodging those bullets. Yeah, you know? That's it. Um, but it's fascinating, Marshall and Billy. It's fascinating for me to know that uh, um, when Priscilla came to the picture with El in Elvis's life, Priscilla was hanging out with Elvis and then she goes home and who's Priscilla or who's Elvis sleeping with probably, I guess would be Elizabeth at that point. Right. At the same time. Is that. She didn't say sleeping with, she said to me that she would crawl in the bed. Let's just say that. Who would be crawling in Elvis's bed <laughs> at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of. It's, I mean, it's it's a pretty crazy story. You don't you no. don't see they don't they don't depict Elizabeth in the in the stories. No. They don't depict Elizabeth in 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 the party. There, they should be Elizabeth should be walking around somewhere in the party in the background, <laughs> maybe sitting beside Elvis on that. You know, they they always put Elvis at a piano in the story. I think the yeah. movie just did that. Uh, actually, and factually, Elizabeth Elizabeth might have, should have been sitting right right there beside him on the uh, in the piano seat. Well, the, the greatest line that emerged out of that was um, he he walked, like when he saw Priscilla, he, he walked into the next room in a daze and he says to Rex, man, I just met an angel. She's just gorgeous. And she's young, just young enough to where I could train her just right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's what Elizabeth said. She said she was in the kitchen making biscuits with grandma and he walked in there and told them that he had seen the face of an angel. Yeah, is what he said, and he said it in front of Elizabeth. Yeah, told Elizabeth. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. A very complicated, complex story, but it is. Uh, and and Rex and Elizabeth had a chance to re. They had gotten over it in '72. Charlotte, um, mm -hmm. yeah, in Charlotte, they they were going to come and tour, and Lamar. He was he still remained in touch with Lamar, and uh, he was like, "Hey, Lamar, what do you think? Should we go and say hi to Elvis?" And he said, "Don't get involved. Don't do it." So they had that opportunity, but they didn't do it. So and they never spoke to him again, right? I mean, he, Elvis cut him off, right? He they invited him to the to the wedding, and he didn't come, Correct. and never spoke to him again. Now Charlie is the one that called them and and told him that Elvis wanted them to come in Charlotte, Charlie Hodge. Oh, I didn't know that Elvis wanted them to come. I I thought it was their their idea to to go and say hi to Elvis. That's what, what Rex, what I remember Rex telling me was that Charlie Hodge called and said, Hey, Elvis wants to, is in town and wants to see you guys. And uh, this is my recollection of the story. Um, and he said that he wants to see you guys. And he hung the phone up and told Elizabeth that that was, you know, that was going to go on and the doorbell rang and it was Lamar and lamar came in and they told him well you know charlie just called us and told us he said mm, bad idea yeah he said he said you know he's in the middle of this divorce and he is on the war path he yeah. is looking for people to wear out do not come that's <laughs> that's what he said yeah 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 oh man 
I just wonder, okay, so I know that didn't, in reality, didn't happen, but what if somebody like Rex would have been the Diamond Joe spot on the team? Would Elvis's story turned out a little differently? I don't think so. I mean, Elvis's trajectory is going to go wherever Elvis wants to go. It's it's what what's going to happen with Rex's life. You know, yeah. would Same Rex way. have fallen into that type of lifestyle? And and I'm, of course, I mean, he'd have been around it. You know, Rex was doing pills and all that stuff with Elvis. That's right, and he no, had a real problem. He had a real problem with the pills. But you know, the thing was that that Rex would not have lived up to his full potential, I guess, if he yeah. had remained with Elvis. Rex would not have gone on to run this corporation uh, in Germany, uh, heading up 200 people. I mean, he would not have fully realized that. As the colonel said, he would have always lived in Elvis's shadow. Yeah. And that's not to say that Joe Esposito didn't live up to his full potential. It's just that Rex was on a different trajectory. He was a a hard charging salesperson um, and then was, was, you know, just willing uh, to, to work his way up the corporate ladder. So, and he was in the man lift uh, business for the people that don't know what, what that is. If you picture a cable TV truck with the bucket that lifts the guy up to work on the cable, that's what Rex did. He sold yeah. those. Yeah. He worked for a company out of Goldsboro, North Carolina, yeah. which I used to live close to Goldsboro, and they manufactured those, and he sold them in Europe. I think yeah. he told me he got them into 60 countries in Europe from my yeah. And it's a very specialized business. So uh, it took care of him for the rest of his life. Yes. Because even when he came out here to visit me, uh, he was he was still selling them uh, and, and, and going to dealerships. So uh, it took care of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was a great salesman, as you just mentioned, Marshall. Yes. Yeah. And- great salesman. What a, what a great, charismatic, funny guy. Uh, uh, real Southern gentleman. With funny and just witty and smart, but really sincere too. Well, tell me a good story, Marshall. Just good people. Yeah, good people. What's mm-hmm. a good story that I could tell you? Well, they always got a <laughs> they always got a kick out of me because when we when we went to visit them in Tennessee, I had to uh, I had to use the bathroom, and he I made them pull over on the side of the road, and we were we were in in Tennessee. And, you know, they were they were they thought of me as this real city slicker. So I'm out there in the woods and I I swear to you, I hear something like I think I hear a wild javelina and I come running right back into the car and I shut it and I go, let's go. That was fast. I said, I heard something out there. And uh, Man, he never let me forget that. He, he loved that story. I'm That's just trying good. to think of a, a, a funny wreck story. Um, uh, you know, he he was just. He was, he was a take charge kind of guy too, you know, he, uh, he, he just had a really interesting, great personality. He knew everybody. Oh, here's another thing in Sevierville. They'd go to this show. It was called country tonight and they'd go to it every week and they knew all the lines, uh, but they'd get free passes and they b- behind the scenes, they'd go and meet all the actors and everything. And that's what they did almost every week. So that's interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, uh, had one foot in the old world and, and one foot in today's world. Uh, but he was very, very uh, objective about Elvis, did not worship him, did not. When we were doing book signings together, he did not like the uh, obsessive fans. He, uh, he he got turned off by that for some reason. 
Um, but he was always very kind and very nice to everybody. But when when somebody was too obsessive, it, it he kind of just backed off. Well, what are some things he shared with you about Elvis, like during that time in, in their lives? Well, he, he talked, you know, um, about uh, uh, how Elvis was very, very charming. Um, I, want, I don't want to say manipulative, but uh, he Elvis was, was very, uh, he could lure you into a situation uh, if he wanted to uh, through his charm. And it was very hard to say no to him. But uh, Elvis also... Uh, like Rex because Rex didn't back down to anything or anyone. So, you know, when, when Elvis accumulated all these friends and had people surrounding him, um, they always had some, some specials, something that was special or unique about them. Because if you were just, if you were just ordinary, I don't think that you could get into that uh, inner circle. So uh, there was something always weird and funky and offbeat about all the, all of his friends that were around him. You know, and, and I, I think if you talk about the Memphis Mafia, certainly Lamar, right? Lamar was a character. I guess oh. that's the word. Everybody was a character. And, and Rex was certainly a character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lamar, the traveling companion. Yeah. Yep. And Rex had um, Guillaume Barre syndrome. He got very sick and fought back through that. Yeah. And uh, he had to go through rehab. I mean, he, he, had well, to he was in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and for a long time, he, he really thought that he would not walk again. So, yeah. again, that that fighting spirit, uh, yeah, he walked. He still had a little bit of a hobble uh, when I knew him. Uh, but, you know, he was still walking and upright. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to fight back from that. I mean, he had to basically learn everything again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And he was uh, he got. Uh, the, his, he wrote another book that, uh, after, after the book that you did recently yeah. and he bought, I've, I've been trying to sell those books and I've, and I've had some success selling some, but he bought a lot of books. Oh yeah. I tried yeah. to talk him out of that deal. Yeah. And, um, uh, he actually pulled me over to the side and said, look, if something happens to me, promise me that you're going to help Elizabeth sell those books. Yeah. And so I, I have held up to that and tried my best to, to move as many as I could. And, that, and that's that's exactly how I knew of you. He said, hey, this guy, this Billy Stalling spa guy is going to help me sell all these books. And I said, <laughs> well, I hope he's good because you've got a lot of books in your garage. Yeah, he does have a lot. He, he bought about 12,000. Yeah. He, he self-published his book and uh, this company talked him into buying like 12,000 copies. He's got a garage full of them. I said, Rex, that's way too much. Yeah. Said, Maybe a thousand. Uh, yeah. Well, that, you know, they pressured me and I said, you should have oh. called me, brother. Oh. But um, anyway, then then he, he developed this uh, friendship with Billy. And yeah. so Well, I'm not that good, Marshall, and <laughs> uh, to sell 12,000 books, but I've sold some, but not yeah. that many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's wow. just not, the thing is, is it's not a very well-known story. You know, the average Elvis fan does not know the story. But, man, it would be a fascinating movie. If it, if, if it was a movie, I could sell these books, Marshall, and yeah. help, help Elizabeth. <laughs> well, the book's been optioned for, as a movie. Like four so I know times. this right here would go back into publishing. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we tried to sell it as a movie, but, you know, it's, it's just hard to get financing. But now would be a good time with Elvis being hot again. You know? That's right. That's right. Not that Elvis was never hot. He's super hot. Yeah, yeah, he's super hot right now. Was was Rex? Uh, y'all y'all would know, but was Rex with uh, Elvis and, and the guys when they um, 
they had all those girls in uh yes yeah, in Paris yeah and, yeah the Lido club tell, tell me what what did they what did Rex say about that Marshall well the, the 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 funny story is is that you know they went to the Lido club one night and then uh, they they brought the girls back and um, so the, the you know they, and they stayed they all stayed the night at, at their suite in in Paris and so somehow or another the owner uh, called the Elvis's suite and said hey uh, we uh, we got to get our show started. And Lamar, I think, answered the phone. He goes, well, go ahead and start the show. He goes, uh, sir, you have our girls. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, you have all 22 of our Lido girls. <laughs> 21 were in there with Elvis, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and Rex used to say, and this, this line's in the book, he said something like, uh, he said, he said something like, you know, Rex, or Elvis, Elvis always got the best looking girl. He goes, but the second was like filet mignon to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember him saying that. Yeah. Hey, what did poor Lamar get? Uh, hey, poor Lamar did okay for himself. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when you're with Elvis, it's all filet mignon. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a story though about Lamar um, in 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 Paris or or someplace in Europe where he didn't realize he was with. Uh, a man who was dressed up as a woman. Oh yeah, that happened at the Lido. No, okay. it wasn't the Lido Club. It was a um, I can't think of the name of the club. But yeah, you're right. Elvis Elvis kind of tricked him into that. Oh well, yeah. the, the, they said that when when <laughs> Elvis always used to joke that when uh, when Lamar found out it was a man, he was howling like no other. So <laughs> can you imagine the the grief that that he must have given Lamar <laughs> over the years? On that one joke alone, just on that one thing. Well, you know, guys, you know, growing up, like I grew up like that, in terms of like guys giving each other a hard time. So I can imagine Elvis and his uh, crew just did nothing but bag on each other all day. Well, yeah. you know, Johnny Lang and uh, Bill Morris both said that Elvis picked on Lamar. Like yeah. I, I'm talking about, not, I'm talking about not just joke with Lamar, like. Yeah. He would say the uh, the most vile stuff uh, to Lamar, and then Lamar would go right back at, at it with him. Uh, yep. So I guess Lamar, you know, he Lamar wasn't scared to say what he wanted to. to yeah, him. he held his own for sure. Like that, you know. I just know, you know, I had to tell Marshall that that story. Uh, Billy and I know a story uh, it happened in the seventies when Elvis got mad at at some of the guys. Got mad at somebody not being where they were supposed to be. I guess <laughs> needed them or wanted them. He wanted some something like socks or something, something crazy, you know. And uh, so Elvis called them all up to the room, and they were all at the swimming pool wherever this hotel was at. And Elvis lined all the guys up in the room in a line, right? And he went. He was so mad, he went back down the line, and he was like, "Marshall, what do you do for me?" And he made it each and every guy tell their job title. So he gets to Lamar, and he was like, "Lamar, what?" do you do for me, Lamar? And Lamar couldn't figure out what he did for Elvis. And, and uh, they said that he was kind of like stuttering, you know, well, I, you know, I, I, and, oh, hell, Lamar, all you are is my traveling companion. And then went to the next person. So, you know, there was a, that, that funny story with Lamar, the traveling companion. That's all you do for me, my traveling companion. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that would be fun to, to, to hear those, uh, remarks back and forth i bet it was i bet we don't even understand how bad it probably was <laughs> yeah well but, but you know and i i might have alluded to this but i really do believe uh that the memphis mafia kept elvis sane and that was really their job and um 
Um, Sonny had talked about that. You know, the Beatles had always talked about they had each other through this insanity of, of, of stardom. And Elvis had no one. But I think Elvis really did have uh, the Memphis Mafia to to to. So I don't. I, I believe that he got something from them. Uh, they they helped him keep his sanity. I think. So I think they're to be credited credited for that. Well, he definitely wanted them around. Yes, yeah. he could have had them. You know, they could have been gone at any moment, but he wanted them there. That's right. And yeah. and Sonny had told me the same story. And, and the line that Elvis would use: if if Elvis wanted to be alone with a woman. Or his wife, he'd say, "Well, guys, it's about that time," and they would just they take they take the hint. But he really never did that uh, with Priscilla because he wanted the guys around. So, hmm, hmm. that's odd. That is odd. Well, let's talk about Sonny because you did that. Uh, I told you on the other episode that I believe was the first book that I read on Elvis when I started yeah. uh, becoming a fan and wanted to learn about the guy. Was your book on Sonny West? I went still taking care of business when that the title. Yeah. yeah. I can see the cover. I can see the cover right now, Marshall. I'm, I'm, it was at books a million. I remember, but uh, yeah, tell tell me some sunny stories. Well, uh, I'll tell you how I met him. I met him for the Barbara Lee and, um, and I knew who he was and I had read Elvis, what happened in high school. And I, I got a kick out of that book. I just, I don't know what it was. I, I didn't see it as, I mean, when I was in high school in 82, it was five years removed from his death. So I didn't see, I didn't understand the context of the book. I just read it as a, uh, as a first year college student. Uh, and I, I just got a kick out of it for some reason. I just thought it was funny. I just thought, wow, Elvis loved guns. He, he, he went to the morgue. Uh, he did all these really crazy fun things. And I just, you know, so I was familiar with the book. Uh, and then of course, later on, I learned, uh, the context of you know that this book made Elvis very unhappy, um, and then I then I saw it as well. If Sonny wants to do another book on Elvis, maybe it's a redemption story. You know, Sonny wants to further explain why he did the book, and then tell the full story without the other uh, two guys involved, and just have Sonny tell his own story. And Sonny, out of out of all the maybe Lamar, but Sonny had this incredible memory for detail. And so, uh, you know, he could put you in the room when he told the story. So um, that's why I wanted to do that book just to say, okay, all these years have gone by. How do you feel about that book? How did it impact your life? And that's the, that's kind of the story that I wanted to tell. So, um, uh, you know, he, he talked about how um, the first book didn't really convey the love that he had for Elvis. And it was apparent when you were with Sonny how how much he did love Elvis. And I really believe that he would have taken a bullet for Elvis, just as I believe that Red would have, or Dick Grobe, or uh, Sam Thompson. All those guys would have done that for mm -hmm. Elvis. So that was uh, so that was a book of love. Um, and I, I hope it came off well. And, uh, you know, in, in a, uh, I think it's, it's probably one of the best Elvis books out there. But... Um, there are others that that are they're a little that are probably a little bit better, but as far as Memphis Mafia books go, I think that's that could be that could be up there. Well, I know that I like I said, you know, it made me want to learn more about Elvis when I read it. Yeah. So I think you did your job there, right? Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, about Sonny that would be interesting to convey. Um, 
do you remember that story uh, that Sonny told y'all? I know it was in your book about, uh, you know, Sonny liked a girl at a party that Elvis had. And then Elvis came over and moved yeah. in on that girl and they yeah. had a big fight. Do you remember anything Sonny told you about that? Well, he basically said that he thought that Elvis was uh, on pills. And so he was highly agitated. And um, uh, Elvis was paranoid because what happened was Elvis moved, moved in on the girl and um, Sonny said something like, he, he whispered to, I forget who it was in the room, like, man, Elvis is a smooth operator. He sure shot me down. Um, or he said something else. And El Elvis then said, what did you say, Sonny? Are you talking about me? And he couldn't say, Sonny couldn't say what he said in front of the girl because it would have embarrassed the girl. And so that's when then Elvis drew back. So he he felt like Elvis, you know, the, the pills were kind of a, uh, influences behavior influences behavior at that time so elvis hit him yeah he hit him and he said sonny said his jaw went like that and he looked right at elvis and said man elvis i never thought you'd hit me and then um he didn't he didn't draw back and hit on elvis uh which which probably would have put elvis on the ground um sonny just then went into his room started packing um, and then Elvis came in with his head down, wouldn't say he's sorry because he said Elvis never said he was sorry, but would say, Hey man, do you need anything? Can I get you any money? Um, you know, his way of saying sorry. So, um, Sonny, that's when Sonny packed up and left. And then I think he was gone for a couple months and then, uh, they saw each other on a movie set and, uh, Elvis called him into his dresser and just said, Sonny, you're a crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> and then they start laughing and that's just kind of how they made up. Hmm. That's, that's interesting, man. Yeah. Wow. I know, I, I know that it's, that's a sad part of the story, but it's, it's one as vivid in my memory. Uh, yeah. What year was, would you say that was Marshall? Do you that had to be probably the early sixties is what I'm thinking. 60s. I mean, if I referred to the book, I could tell you exactly what, 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 uh, who the, who the girls were. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, it would, it was, it was Tuesday Weld and another girl. That's what it was. And Sonny said something like, man. Okay, so so, so so what happened was Elvis made the move on Sonny's girl in front of Tuesday Weld. And Sonny said to this other guy, man, if you were Elvis, wouldn't you wouldn't you go for Tuesday Weld? So <laughs> that's when Elvis said, hey, Sonny, what'd you say? And, and Sonny couldn't say, he couldn't repeat that. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Man, I guess Sonny didn't get the girl, though. <laughs> well, I wanted to go back to uh, we we were talking about Rex. Uh, Rex told me that he he got on pills because Elvis was on pills. Yeah, and it took him a long time to get off those pills. You remember we we said that Elizabeth said she was in love with Elvis for about five more years. Well, Rex was trying to get off pills for many 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 years. So the residuals of being with Elvis for both of those people lasted. Mm -hmm. way into their relationship. And Elizabeth told me that she brought all of Elvis's pills back in her suitcases on the airplane. When wow. they flew from, uh, when they flew back from Germany, uh, you know, she lived at Graceland for a period of time. And she said that she brought jars full of pills, like right. the size of Mason jars. Yeah. Her suitcases had a lot of them in there. Yeah. And I think he was getting them from the base doctor. Uh, so, you know, he had, so you know the, the the pill thing started, um, you know in the, in the late fifties. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're talking about residual effect, which I find interesting. 
Um, it, it wasn't just Rex. I mean, if you, if you all those guys, the, the 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 shadow that Elvis Elvis cast on their lives. I mean, you know, in in knowing Sonny, it was still there was still a very big shadow of Elvis on his life. That lasted really to the end of Sonny's life. Absolutely, yeah. and I th I think you know almost everybody. I I remember meeting was it Janie Wilbanks? Is that right? Wilbanks, yeah. Yeah. And when we were at Graceland, she came to visit Rex and Elizabeth and she didn't want any fans recognizing her. And uh, the whole, and, and just keep in mind that she just gave Elvis a kiss on a train. Right. Mm -hmm. And that uh, played into her marriage too, for many years, she couldn't talk about Elvis. So I guess my point is, is that anybody who came into contact with Elvis's world got impacted and, and, uh, deeply and uh it's, some of uh, uh, the vast majority of them for the rest of their life yeah absolutely you know, uh rex and elizabeth beat it but they still talked about it they still embraced it right you know they did books they did you know they did some things um and he didn't need the money he didn't do that book for money right you know uh I, I shouldn't speak for rex but i know that they didn't have any financial issues correct you know where they would need to do anything like that they just wanted to tell the story they thought it was important right. and i do i think it was important yeah right. yeah and so, and you know you work for elvis presley i think i think the here's the shadow that was that was cast especially with the guys and that is you know you work for elvis presley there's so much excitement uh on a daily basis and then when 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 that life is gone, how do you go back to a normal life? It's mm -hmm. really tough. And those yeah, guys they, never, the vast majority of them, like we're talking about, you know, um, uh, sadly, Sonny died broke. Right. You know, uh, uh, Red didn't. You know, Red went on to have a career and do, do a lot of things on his own. Lamar died, I would say, probably broke. Yeah. You know, and, and we're saying relative terms broke. That doesn't mean that they're living under a bridge, but relatively broke. Correct. Um, And I think most of them did. Joe, I think probably, I don't know how well he did at the end of his life, but I don't really see any other things from Joe. Right. You know, uh, after Elvis that I, well, can, what, I can think of. What makes me sad is, and I, I think recently maybe it's changed, but um. Sonny West, like you, like and Marty Lacker had unmarked graves, Marshall. Yeah, that's really sad. Uh, I didn't know that about Sonny until you told me that because I remember seeing footage of his funeral from somebody who posted that's it on me. YouTube. Was yeah. that you? That's me. Yeah. 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 But I, I didn't, I didn't even think twice about perhaps there might not have been a headstone. He so. just got a headstone after Judy died somebody figured out a way to get them both a headstone. So it is there now. Yeah. Um, and Marty Lacker doesn't have a headstone. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You would walk right over his grave and not even mm -hmm. know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's unfortunate. It really is. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and, you, and you, when you, I write about this all the time, you know, uh, and it just makes you, it makes me certainly very aware of, planning your retirement. And uh, I just think that uh, those things weren't in, in their heads at that time. And, um, you know, they, anybody at that age would have, would have taken that step of, I'm going to, I'm going to hitch my star to, to hitch my wagon to Elvis. 
but uh, you know, it 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 impacted them the rest of their lives to where you know those things happened, and it was really sad to watch. Yeah, they didn't. None of them thought Elvis would die at forty-two of all things. Mm-mm. You know, I've, I mean, even them, was- I've even heard some of them say, "I didn't even like." When they were with him, they didn't realize that he was overweight. Uh, that the the special that they showed on television—that's the first time that it kind of hit them. So, uh, I think that they overlooked, you know, a lot of things that were obvious later on. Mm. Mm. That's interesting because you would think that they would have been concerned about his health and weight and that kind of stuff. So, right. Hmm, but because Elvis was so charming and magnetic, it's like they looked past that and. Hmm. Maybe some of the guys didn't, but I've, I've heard that I've heard it said enough to where like, gosh, I just I didn't see him looking like that until I saw that special. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, yeah. you know, those guys though, most of them were relatively young. They could have gone to work, had a career, done some things, but they always tried to get that next big Elvis thing. Right. One time, right after another, and it never panned out for most of them. You know. Right. And uh, so, sadly, most of them died broke. Right. And and I even know this is a fact. Uh, when when I was doing the um, when I was doing the book with Sonny um, and I'd hear stuff about Lamar, they, they all wanted they wanted limousines everywhere, you know, to these Elvis. They wanted first class tickets. And that just, you know, wasn't realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, knowing how how things work. But again, that was all, this is how Elvis traveled. So this is how I want to travel. So they tried to, they were always vying to get back to that life. Yes. That was eluding them. That's what I saw. So yeah. I, I can't say that for everybody, but that's what I saw with some of the guys. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've witnessed that same thing. That's, uh, it's very, very interesting. Um, that's that shadow. I've never thought about it that way, but that's, that's pretty, you're yeah. right. It's, right. it's a shadow that was cast for not just not just in the immediate aftermath, but four four wow. or five decades afterwards. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, and there's still people trying to live off of that, uh, and it's it's I, I don't even know what to even say about that. It's just yeah. it's so it's sad. It really is sad more than anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the ones the ones that did best were the ones that went on and and got jobs and, and went on with their lives. Yeah. Know? And it makes me weary of any sort of stardom, you know, attaching yourself to, uh, to, to somebody who's big because uh, I've seen, I've seen it in the movie genre and the recordings, recording and sports. And uh, it just, it's like, it's like this drug and they get a high off of that. And then once, once the person's gone, I mean, I see it. I, I, I just recently read a book, on Mel Evans, who was uh, the Beatles' roadie, and it, it left me deeply disturbed because, uh, you know, he he put his he put the Beatles in front of his family, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he had a wife and two small kids, and if he had a choice of doing something for the Beatles or something for his family, he chose the Beatles every time, and uh, I think perhaps maybe most people would do that, but as an outsider looking in, you go, wow. Maybe maybe stardom isn't what it's cracked up to be, or maybe maybe people that are around it maybe shouldn't want to be around it so much. Mm-hmm. Somebody well, always ends up getting burned. You know, I know uh, I know when Michael when Michael Jordan retired the second time with the Wizards, 
he was in a car after he retired and uh one of his uh, bodyguards was like man uh m what do we go do now and michael jordan looked at his bodyguard and said well i'm retired you can go have to go get you another job <laughs> yeah it's true that's though, right? True story. That's a true story. He told him, Mike, are you about to find you a new job? Because I'll retire, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I, don't know I, I don't know. I guess that bodyguard had to go find some more work. Yeah. But, and speaking of that, um, it was really sad to see Michael Jordan in a Wizards out, uh, uniform, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it, man. Because yeah, he's it a seems so like it seems so out of place. And he was a step slow. And I know what was going through his head. I can still play the way I used to. Well, you know, in reality, what happened you now, and I, I'm friends with somebody that was, that's his, that's his boy, you know, that's close to him. You know, Michael was owner, half owner of the, uh, the Washington team and they were losing money. So MJ decided to go play. Wow. That was the reality of the situation. He was like, well, there's, a, there's one way I can change this, <laughs> you know, wow. and he, he, and he, of course he still wanted to play, but that was a big factor of it. Yeah. is 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 that that timing with the money that situation there and you know, you know he played for two years and then he was going to go back into the front office and they fired him yeah he might not remember that and then i do what, remember him getting fired that's what he told his bodyguard well i'm retired you go have to go find you another job mm -hmm. <laughs> but sometimes it's better not to mess with the uh, tamper with the memories you know go out on top exactly right yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. well Marshall, this was fun, man. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And what other books did you have that, that are out now that people could buy? Well, let's see. Uh, the one that, well, I'll, I can tell you about the ones that I'm working on now if you want. Okay. Uh, because the, the one that came out before this was a book I did with Greg Laurie. It's called Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. And it's a, uh, it was a spiritual look at rock and roll um, and, and how the, their lives intertwined with their faith. Um, so that one came out in 2022 uh, and the three books I'm working on now, I'm doing something with the, uh, uh, I'm, I did, a, I finished a memoir with a lady who was the, the, the wife and widow of a serial killer. Can't say his name yet. Wow. And I'm also producing a documentary on that. Um, and I also have in the can a biography of Jay Sebring who has a connection to the Elvis world. He yes. cut Elvis's hair. And then of course, he trained Larry Geller. Sharon Tate, yeah. Yep, and he was killed by the Manson family. We just um, filmed that, uh, the house. Really? Where that was. Oh, yeah, I flew, yeah, I flew the drone over there and all that. I knew exactly where the, the house is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We went up to the gate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I've got a, a book that I'm doing on the history of a small recording studio in Georgia. And uh, the guy who, who, who now owns it is the basis for Collective Soul. His name's Will Turpin, but his father was the one that started it. So um, I've got those three books in the can. And right now I'm just, I'm not doing anything, which is kind of nice for a while. Yeah. That's cool stuff. What, what is got, um, um, Marshall, you know, you, you did the book on McQueen. So I was going to ask you about, you know, Bruce Lee and McQueen were, were good friends, you know, Chuck Norris and McQueen, uh, uh, McQueen pretty much influenced Chuck to get into acting. Uh, because, um, you know, uh, McQueen studied karate with Chuck there in, in Los Angeles. Uh, what I was going to ask you was, is it true that Bruce Lee and Steve McQueen was supposed to go over, over to Sharon Tate's house that night? Well, there's a story that floats around regarding McQueen that he was headed over there 
And um, he picked up some young girl on his motorcycle and turned around. Um, but that I hadn't heard of Bruce Lee, but but Bruce Lee was very good friends with Jay Sebring. And in this book, there are letters from from Jay and Bruce going back and forth. They were very, very good friends. But well, see, I, I, I read that where that night. McQueen and Lee, Bruce Lee, was supposed to be over there at a party. And both of them did not go yeah. to that party. The Bruce Lee story I've never heard of, but there is a connection to Bruce and those murders because when when Sharon Tate was uh, murdered, Roman Polanski got very, very paranoid and started accusing almost everybody in his inner circle. And I think he found a pair of glasses and he thought that they belonged to Bruce and was trying to surreptitiously get Bruce to try the glasses on. Cause I, I think Polanski, you know, he was, he lost it there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was that connection, but there's also an Elvis and Steve McQueen connection through Barbara Lee. And, you know, they were dating uh, each other at the same time. And so they, and they kind of knew about each other too. Cause um, Elvis would ask, so how's that motorcycle hick? And then we <laughs> would say, how's that guitar hick? <laughs> and so she was filming Junior Bonner um, with Steve McQueen in, in Prescott, Arizona. And if you know anything about Prescott, it's, it hosts the world's oldest running rodeo. So this was a rodeo film. And um, so at the time, he didn't, he didn't really know about the, uh, McQueen and Barbara seeing each other. And so he goes, so he tried every which way to get Barbara to come see him. And he goes, I know. I'll come up to Prescott, Arizona. I've never been to a cowboy town before. And that's when she had to say, uh, Elvis, I'm seeing Steve. Wow. <laughs> it stopped that relationship cold in its tracks. So. Uh, um, wow. Yeah. That's incredible, man. I hadn't heard that one. But you just, you mentioned that you said Jay Sebring cut Elvis's hair. Yeah, he initially cut Elvis's hair, and he and Elvis had a falling out. The Jay was pretty strong-minded, strong-willed. I think Elvis wanted him to, you know, to come up to the house and cut his hair. And Jay's like, "Hey, look, I've got a business to run." And so uh, he originally, what was the guy's name? Uh, he had another guy before Larry Geller uh, go up, and then um, and then Larry became his full-time hairstylist. But Larry was trained by, by and worked for Jay Sebring. So that's how Geller got involved with Elvis was through Jay Sebring. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Man, yeah, connections everywhere. Yeah. Well, back then in, in Hollywood in this in this fifties and sixties, we I always say that there was two degree, two degrees of separation, not seven degrees, because it was such <laughs> a small place back then. And Marshall and you know who McQueen's uh, next door neighbor was, right? Keith Moon, James Gardner. Oh yeah, yeah. He lived down. Yeah, he lived down. Um, he wasn't his next door neighbor. He lived down. He lived in front of him. And what McQueen would do would uh, drink beer and crush the cans and throw them on his on, his on Gardner's yard. They had Billy. They had a big rivalry. And then Gardner, because Gardner, you know, Gardner did a tell-all in his book. And you know, if he didn't like somebody, he told it in the book. And yep. he talked about McQueen, how, you know, he he liked McQueen and he hated McQueen. And, they, you yep. know, and he, he felt like McQueen's whole thing was jealousy. He always felt like that his wife was in love with him, that McQueen's girl was in love with James Gardner. 
And he said it was just some kind of stupid jealousy thing with him. Yeah. And he said me and him would race down on our cars down the hill. And just yeah. it was a, one of those macho things. You know, they're always rivalry. But yeah, that, he, beat up, he beat up McQueen pretty good in the book. I always felt it was because, you know, they starred in The Great Escape together. And McQueen walked off that film and insisted uh, that uh, new a new part be written for him. And so McQueen did that. And he... He separated himself from the rest of the cast and McQueen became the star of the movie. And like before the well, week before the movie came out, I think uh, the director, John Sturgis, called Garner and said, we're going to have to go with McQueen on this one. Uh, and he said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you'll see. And so McQueen ended up being the star of the movie. Wow. Garner really thought that he was going to become the star. Yeah. Uh, James you Garner's know. book said that uh, Steve McQueen couldn't act his way out of a paper sack. I remember him saying that. <laughs> I know. He, he did say that. But he's totally he's totally wrong because if you see James Garner on screen, he's James Garner, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. I guess you could say you could probably say the same thing about Steve McQueen, but McQueen had some real acting chops behind him, whereas Garner was uh, sort of a personality. Yeah, he and played McQueen, the same character. He's the same guy on every show. Yeah, yeah. Loves, and, yeah. and McQueen was a legend, and he was an icon, and and people still talk about him after his death. So, um, and and he was the number one box office attraction in the world for twelve years. So wow. Garner never really had that kind of pull before. You know, so I know McQueen gave sense. Chuck Norris his most valuable advice. He he told Chuck, he said, "Less is more." Yeah. He said, Don't talk. That's right. That's why that's all of his movies and everything. He he took that advice from Steve McQueen. He said either he told he told Chuck Norris, he said, look, either either the camera's gonna love you or hate you, man. And when they love you, you don't have to do anything. That's right. what he, he told Chuck Norris. And hey, look, Chuck's an icon now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. True. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Marshall, I really appreciate you, my friend. This has been great. Awesome. Thank you guys. All right. We'll see you soon. Okay. All right, Marshall. Bye.